everybody. My name is Daryl Temple, and I will be the speaker today, your speaker. Uh, no, I'm, I'm the lead pastor of Hilltop Church. Uh, we're uh, just concluded, as of last Sunday, a series called The Heart of Worship. What a great series that was. I happen to think that my message was the best. A little biased, but, you know, um, out of them all, we, I think it was, uh, that was a joke, guys. That was a joke. You can laugh. Um, but no, what a great series. Such an encouragement as a, as a pastor to sit back and see others preach the word, but do it in such a dynamic way, such a powerful way. And I just want you guys to put your hands together for everybody who served that series. Come on, put your hands together. Just because you were blessed, I was blessed. And I want to encourage you, go to the website. If you didn't hear the message, particularly hear mine, it's the best. Um, but, you know, Will's is good too. No, I'm just joking. No, we had David Fartak, Will Eifler. We had my wife. My wife, what an awesome sermon. Uh, what a good time. I want to do it again. Matter of fact, I could have, we probably could have done it for another four weeks. There's so much on this particular subject. But I kind of like what we're segueing into. Um, from that series, we're going into the cost of discipleship. Now, let me just help you guys, all right? Put a smile on your face. We are not at prison. We're at church, guys. We're, we're, you're, not being, you're not being fined. We're at church. Come on. Even if you can't, just put a smile on your face. Just Come on, Matthew, I want to see those pearly whites. Just brighten up my day. See, like, look at that. Look at that. Who doesn't want to see it? Anyways, um, open the word, if you would, today to Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to track some scripture here today. Um, and let me just uh, kind of start off with this statement. As I was preparing for this message, really felt in prayer uh, the Lord speak to my heart. And it's going to seem a little cliche, I guess, a little bit. Christianese, if you don't know what that means, it's okay. Um, but I, I really just got thinking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. And, you know, there, there's so many, as a preacher, there's so many directions. There's so many kind of paths and roads that you could take in talking about this particular content. But I, I really felt like the Lord put in my heart that, you know, as people, as followers, as disciples, we will never be able to count the cost of discipleship if we haven't considered everything else as loss. You know, it's kind of a, 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 a for me, it was a new way of thought because, it, it, again, it wouldn't be fi- necessarily the road I would take to coming to some conclusions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But I, I understood, or I started to understand through reading scripture that I will never be able to truly immerse myself in following Jesus if I haven't yet learned how or learned that all that this world has to offer should be considered in my mind and in my value system as nothing, as worthless, as rubbish. In Philippians chapter 3.8, we see this exact language come out of Paul. Um, He says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as loss, as garbage, so that I could, what? Gain Christ. Paul had found the way of acceptance with God in Christ. Paul reckoned all those things on which he had relied upon before as loss. He decided that all was, would, would be far outweighed, so to speak, by the single gain of knowing Christ or gaining Christ. Can you imagine that today? It, it, it's so counter, that thought is so counter-cultural today. 
And, and it's, it's sad because it's so pervasive in the church. I'm not necessarily concerned about what happens outside of the church. I get more concerned when I see the world and its uh, um, standards or its values start to creep in the church. And how many of us today, when it comes down to the observation of our lives, can say this? I, I, I want to throw myself in there, guys. I don't, I don't consider myself exempt. There is many ways that I am living for this world. That There's many things that in my life I have not considered as lost. There's many things of which I value. And dare I say, I value them over Christ. I know you're like, this guy's the pastor. No, this, this guy is a pastor. But I'm an honest man and I know my heart. Paul had not only counted all things as loss, but he could have said, for the sake of Christ, I have lost all things. <laughs> that just went over your head. Let's, let's, let's. He could have, instead of saying what he said in Philippians chapter 8, I consider everything worthless, he could have very well have just said, I have, for the sake of following Christ, have lost all things. That's a different spin on, on, on thinking about this particular text. That for the sake of Jesus, he not only just considered things as lost, but he had lost everything. And maybe in Paul's, I like to think anyways, in Paul's heart, it was a matter of value. It was a matter of perception. It was a matter of uh, um, how he handled himself comparative to trying to hold on to things rather than just let them go. But see, for us, in our kind of modern-day Christianity, we like to do this, don't we? Just hold on. No, Jesus, Jesus, please. No, no, Jesus, I gave you that. I I already gave you that. I gave... No, you can't have it. (laughs) But how many of us live with that type of mentality, with that type type of value system? We all know Paul had met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, didn't he? Paul had what theologians say, a radical transvaluation. I think I said that right, but essentially what it means is uh, a redefining of values. Yes, that is a true word. Um, uh, I know for some of you educated people, you're laughing, but it is. But he had had a transformation, so to speak, of uh, a value system that once he had. His position in Judaism, he was a credited Pharisee, Right? He most likely lost that accreditation. He most likely uh, lost his place. He, he most assuredly did. His home, his, his reputation. These things held no value in terms of what you see in Scripture in Paul's life. They hold no value to Paul. Even at the great risk of all being lost, it didn't grieve him at all. He considered it a great joy to lose things compared to what he gained. And what he gained, according to Scripture, and you can find this about three or four times in Philippians, Romans, Acts, Paul gained Christ. He gained the knowledge. He gained being able to do the work of God. (laughs) Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here's Paul in Acts chapter 20, 24. He says this, but I do not 
account my life as any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in ministry (laughs) that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and of the grace of God. Here's some context behind Acts chapter 20. Um, We find some details of Acts chapter 19. (laughs) Uh, Paul's three-year ministry journey in the city of Ephesus. And so a milestone was kind of happening, an end of an error. I mean, three years. This was Paul's longest ministry uh, adventure he had taken throughout all 33 books that he gave voice to in the New Testament. And it was now coming to an end. He's talking to a group of Christians, uh, recapping or summarizing uh, uh, nearly three years of this ministry in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 22 through 24, Paul's decision uh, to go to Jerusalem, or he decides to go to Jerusalem, uh, was not merely on his own, but it was one that was prompted by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 20, it says, Now I am bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But you know what? Even in the face of Acts chapter 20, 22, Paul was aware by the Holy Spirit of persecution and hardships that he would face going to Jerusalem. Right there, what do we do? What does that do for us? It gives us a picture of Paul's commitment It gives us a picture of Paul's selflessness and his obedience to the call and the cause of Christ. Hear me now. He understands, he knows that he is going to suffer great persecution and great hardships as he goes into Jerusalem. But in the face of that, he goes. And this is what he says in verse 24. We read it early. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course of ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And all of this, that one statement, shows that this is worth it to Paul. It shows exactly his declaration, if you would, in Philippians chapter 3.8. So what I'm saying is, we not only have the teaching of Paul showing Paul's life, but we have a vision, so you speak, an image, a picture of Paul actually living it out in Acts chapter 20. And then, of course, we have Romans chapter 8.18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Again, what am I doing? I know you guys are kind of looking at me. I'm bored already. Listen, we are pointing to Paul's values. You cannot live like this if your values are messed up. If you have values where I like to say kind of old school, I used to hear this from my mom, Daryl, you're kind of living like one foot in and one foot out. You know, you kind of got one foot in the church and one foot out of the church. What's it going to be, you know? And that's the absolute opposite of where Paul is coming from. He is all in. 
He is ready to go. There is no second guessing. His value system has been changed radically. And we not only hear him teach about this value system, we see it lived out in Acts chapter 20. Essentially, what Paul, or what we see in Philippians chapter 8, is for Paul a way of life. How he lived throughout his life, especially in Acts 20, again, Paul's decision to go to Jerusalem against all odds, and even at the Holy Spirit's warning him not to not, not to not go, but the dangers of what he would face. See, my concern with Christianity today is we try to create a comfortable, convenient, low-risk Christianity. And can I say this, that there is nothing at all biblical based in truth or scripture about that. But yet somehow we have done it. What I mean by we, I'm saying the body of Christ, I'm saying me. Listen, if you don't think that I'm looking for comfort, if you don't look, think I'm looking not to be inconvenienced, if you don't look uh, uh, that I'm looking for the safe way, the easiest way, I am. But I've understood and especially Looking into this word, I've come to the understanding that this is not biblical Christianity. And if this is not biblical Christianity, then I don't want it. And neither should we, neither should you. So what is it? Why is it? Why is it that we want to play it safe all the time? We look for the easiest route Possible. We want a Christianity, Christianity excuse me, that involves little to no work at all. In other words, we're not willing to go out of our way to be inconvenienced. We don't want more to be put on our plate. We'll only invest so much, only serve so much, we'll only give so much to meet some sense of expectation of our faith. Just so we don't feel guilty are too guilty, are too uncomfortable. But this is, so awesome. this is so opposite of the way Paul lives his life and most assuredly the charge that Jesus gave us. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Matter of fact, when I was studying, I, I, I felt like all the, the, you know, God's big old light was right on my heart saying, son, you are, you are settling for something. You are living in a way that's something that has nothing to do with me. And that, that was hard, man. And, and hear me. Listen, Jesus does it. Why? Because he loves me. Okay, he loves you. There's no condemnation. Listen, if you're feeling condemned, you need to get that right. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But that doesn't mean you get to escape from conviction. <laughs> you know, we got we to gotta get some, like, we got to get some... Uh, 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 transvaluation going on in our life. We need some transformation up in our heads. Condemnation. Yes, no, we don't want it. Conviction, I welcome it every day. <laughs> You're like, man, this guy is sick. No, I am, a, I am not the sick. Okay, I understand what I meant. Like, this guy is not right. Okay, that's what I meant, all right? <laughs> God, I, gotta, I gotta clarify everything, but... Um, but, but I want that. I want God to open up my heart. I want him. Listen, you know, I want him to be truthful with me. It's not even that I want. He's going to be eventually. So why is it that we settle for something mere, something safe and, and, and comfortable? 
We've read the words of Jesus, the teachings of Paul, that we are to live our lives as temporary residents. And that those who, what? Love their life, will lose it. Yet, in many ways, we live exclusively for this life. We love this life, and in many ways, our love has blinded us to the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Hear my heart today, guys. Hear my heart. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you that following Jesus was easy, but it's not. Look at the rich young ruler, for example. A man who, in his observation of his life, was doing everything necessary to gain eternal life. But yet Jesus tells him, hey, listen, there's one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the man left, bummed, discouraged, because he couldn't do it. Guys, the bottom line is, narrow is the way. We haven't signed up for Jenny Craig here. You know, we are not trying to promote it works. Our essential oils. We are, we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that does not necessarily come at the expense of convenience. But it comes with great cost. I would like to say this, and this may be just a little too far for some of us, but I wholeheartedly believe in a Christianity that costs nothing or that's preached that it costs nothing is not Christianity at all. It's not Christianity at all. There's a great cost. There's a great cost in following Christ. But there's also a great reward. Grace was costly, friend. It cost God, the Father, everything. His Son. And if we think we just... See... Here's, here's, my, here's, my, here's my dilemma in thinking about this whole thing. We get, we get discipleship confused with salvation. Salvation is free. It's the free gift of God, right? But following Christ is costly. And if you can prove to me otherwise in this text, in this New Testament, we'll just, we'll, just go to the new, we'll, just, we'll just stay in the New Testament. Of anybody who followed Christ and didn't give or didn't, it didn't cost them in extravagant ways, man, I would love to see it. True biblical Christianity takes place when the disciple considers all is lost and the value of that that is lost is outweighed by the knowledge or the gain of Christ. You see, the cost of following Christ can never commence or start if the, following hasn't, if the follower hasn't seen uh, the worth of Jesus. Let me say that again. I kind of stumbled over my words. True biblical discipleship takes place when the disciple considers it all is lost. This world, it holds no value. All is lost. And it's, all that is lost is quickly outweighed by the worth of Christ or Gaining the knowledge of Christ. Look at Mary of Bethany. Look at even the story where you see Mary of Bethany's response to Jesus in breaking that alabaster uh, thing of oil, uh, um, jar of oil over Jesus' feet and then Judas' response to it. 
right there we get really, I think, amongst many things, but we really get an image of what it means to have two types of values when it comes to following Christ. Here's a woman who says, I'm going to give everything. And here's a man who's been following, with, following Jesus, been right by his side, Judas, who was stewarding the finances uh, of the ministry of Christ, and yet he goes what? He goes into complaining about the act of this girl's worship. And right there, we catch an image of what it, what it looks like for two people to have a heart or fall, they follow Jesus, but yet come from opposite spectrums in considering the value of Christ or understanding the value and worth of Jesus. One gives all her inheritance, probably stored up from her parents, you know, given throughout time so that she could have some kind of safety net, some kind of security. And another who's been robbing Jesus from day one strikes up in opposition. We, he, he had no interest in giving that money to the poor. He, the only interest he had was to put it back in his pocket. And I want to just charge, what kind of disciple are we today? What kind of disciple is Daryl Temple today? kind of disciple are you today? Are you the one that would reflect Mary's selfless act, responding to the worth of Christ, giving it all and holding nothing back, much like Paul talks about here? Are you like Judas? I'm not talking about betraying Christ, but, but you understand the heart, the posture of the heart of what we're trying to point to. So we see the difference of responses to Jesus' worth. Jesus' response uh, to this, and he has no concern, no care at all for the poor. But because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he, used it to help him, he wanted to use it to help himself and put it into his own hands. In other words, in response to the worth of Jesus, Mary's heart was full of wonder and thankfulness and joy overflowing. And in that, she lavished her inheritance on the feet of Jesus for his death. It wasn't, she was going to gain anything by it. He was being anointed for death. Judas' heart felt none of that. He valued money more than he valued Jesus. Much like the rich young ruler. Mary, she loved Jesus. Mary's heart corresponded to the treasure that Jesus was. And Judah's heart contradicted the treasure that Jesus is. You'll never, we will never as disciples begin to pay a price or begin to follow Jesus sincerely if we haven't yet discovered how much Jesus is worth. I know. Let's recap. You'll never truly know what it means to be Jesus' disciple if you haven't deemed everything else as worthless rubbish compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. That's one. Two is you'll never begin to count the cost of following Christ if you haven't yet discovered the worth of Christ. That's the problem in church today. We, we, we have no grid. We, we, we'd rather have our lattes and our Xboxes, 
and our money and our possessions and our white picket fence with a nice fluffy dog, of which I have one. <laughs> but but, but the, our, our, our value system is, is, is skewed. It's wrong. The worth of Jesus needs to outweigh what we deem as worthy in the world or credible in the world or long for his possessions in the world. Let's go briefly and we'll end here in Luke chapter 14, 26 through 33. Is everybody okay? Yeah. I know, listen, this is a hard message, right? You know, I even feel hard saying it and I wish I could make you laugh more, but I don't want to. I don't want to try to, um, you know, I don't want to try to water down what Jesus calls us to be as disciples, as, as followers of Christ. I don't want to try to just make us laugh to ease the pain. This is painful. It's, it's costly. It costs us everything, friend. And if, and if you're thinking it's like uh, it can happen another way, it cannot. Ultimately, you will either come to the impasse that Paul did and be able to give it all because Jesus is worth it all, or you will live as a Christian miserable, discontent, low, depressed, because all along you have known the cost was great, but yet you didn't want to pay it. Salvation is free. Following Jesus will cost you everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Jesus invites us to come, he bids us to come, and then he calls us to die. We don't like that. We want to live. But you know what? Our death leads to life. It leads to eternal life. There is a reward for those who follow Jesus. Luke 14, 26 through 33. Jesus says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Man, can you drive the nail a little further, Jesus? I gotta hate my old family. Oh, easy, I know some of you, John Piper wannabes, are saying, man, he is taking this out of context. We will get there. <laughs> you're, you're not John Piper. You're not even close. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, Listen to my words. Try to break the stupor off your minds and your ears and listen to the words of Christ, the one of which we are all professing to follow this morning. This is what the Messiah, the Son of God, God Himself says to His followers. If anyone wants to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, they cannot be my disciples. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, build excuse me, and was not able to finish. Or what king going to, out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able 
um, I'm sorry, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, whom comes against him with 20,000. If and if not, while I hate the ESV, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and if not, while while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I love the ESV, by the way. Okay. Essentially, Jesus lays out. He gives us instruction that anything. Listen, Jesus is not encouraging hate towards your parents and your family. But he is saying anything that comes before me shouldn't. Anything that is valued above me shouldn't. So if your family, which in Jewish culture, Jesus' time, very important. Very important. I mean, imagine saying, you're like Jew, the Jewish, they love family. They're all about, it's like my family. My family is like family obsessive. Like, I love family, but I have my family. I, I have them, yes, but I, I mean, they just do everything together, consumed. And when you don't do things with them, they're like, Daryl, you're just so, so isolated. And you're not like your brother Chris. And, and I'm like, Mom, get over it, okay? Who is my father? Who is my mother? But those who do the will of God. Get behind me, Satan. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> But, but Jesus is simply saying, anything that comes before me, it can't be. It, can't, it shouldn't. And, and if it does, you should hate it. You should hate it. But in a way that puts it in perspective, in a way that rightly realigns our value system. It, it puts things in perspective. Jesus first, everything else second. And so Jesus says, If you want to follow me, you have to. You have to renounce. You have to renounce everything that comes or tries to contend or vibe or or, or, or try to compete with your affection towards me and you're following me. I've met missionaries going to hostile areas where they may not come back. Their parents are signing waivers, you know, so that the ministry sending them are not responsible legally if they die. And every once in a while, you get this young person who is deeply concerned. Why? Because mom and dad don't want them to go. But yet it's amazing seeing a 20-year-old in the face of knowing that they may not come back, that they're going to uh, uh, a very hostile environment, They may not come back, and even their parents are begging them. Some of them, even unwilling to sign the form themselves, they have to do it themselves. But yet in the face of that, they go. In the face of mom and dad's criticism, mom and dad's approval, mom and dad's, no son, no daughter, please don't go, they go. Why? Because they have that value system They have that value system right. What's the worst that can happen, friend? You know, there's all we're we're charismatic group. There's all this this talk about the end of the world. Guys, read your Bible. The world's going to end sometime. Okay, it's going to happen. A heart. It's not going to be pretty. There's going to be person. It's going to happen. Get over it. But at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen? We go and be with Christ. Really? 
If we do not see ourselves as temporary residents in this land, this foreign land of Cambridge, wherever you're from today, then you'll never see yourself as a disciple or you'll never truly live out what it means to live as a disciple or follower of Christ. Never. You'll be doing what I did for years, trying to appease two masters. Oh, it's getting hot in here. Yeah. And Jesus bids us to take up our cross and follow him. So Jesus is unashamed and unafraid of telling us up front essentially the worst of what it means to follow him. <laughs> Imagine that. Hey, if you want to follow me, you got to hate all these other people. Oh, yeah. Let's sign up, Jesus. It's funny how the devil will try to give us all his best up front. You know, like, who told you'll be like God? Who told you that? But Jesus, no, no, no. He says, yeah, uh, let me just tell you, okay? You got to take up your cross and follow me, okay? I, 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 I'm, I'm calling you to die, yeah. Sounds like something I want to sign up. In verse 26, hate your family. Verse 27, carrying a cross. 33, renouncing possessions. There is no small print in the covenant of grace. It's big. It's bold. In other words, Jesus puts it right out there to see. There's nothing, there's no fine print that's hidden. And that's why I'm bold in this message, although I wish the delivery was a little better, but it's bold and it's in your face. Why? Because it's in bold print. He doesn't mince words. He's not saying, hey, come on, come follow me. Hey, I tricked you. You know, surprise. You know, and all of a sudden you've lost everything. No, he makes it aware. He makes you well aware of it right up front. And not only does he make us aware of it, but he says, listen, before you do it, count the cost. <laughs> bumper sticker Christianity, you know. We had, we had 1,300 salvations. Where are they now? I'm, I'm all, hey, I'm all for it. We need to hit the streets. We need to pound it. We need to get out there and evangelize for sure. But there's a lot more uh, to evangelism and to souls being saved than just getting them saved. And if we're not first presenting the cost, then we're cheating them. We're cheating them. Jesus puts it out all on bold print right there. No hidden language, no hidden words. You're not going to be surprised about the contract. You are going to get it for what it is. He puts his worst out there first. The call to follow Jesus is not just a call of suffering and self-denial. It is first a call to a banquet. Yeah. This is the parable, uh, or the point of the parable of Luke chapter 14, 16 through 24. Jesus also promises a glorious resurrection where all of the losses of this life will be repaid in the next that's Luke chapter 14, 14. He also tells us that he will help us to endure hardships. That's Luke 22, 32. He also tells us that he will give us the Holy Spirit, the comforter in Luke eleven thirteen. 13. And he also promises that even though, I'm sorry, that even if we are killed for the kingdom or for the sake of the gospel, not a hair on our head will perish. That's in Luke 22, 18. Which means that when we sit down 
to calculate the cost of following Jesus, it should be worth it. When we weigh the worst and the best, we find his worth. That he's abundantly worthy. And it leads us right back to Romans chapter 8, 18. And Jesus lays the groundwork in the gospel for what Paul discovers later in Acts, Romans, and Philippians. This is a starting point. And um, I feel like the elephant in the room, but I'm willing to be that elephant. That's a joke. Um, But I I really want to see us as Hilltop Church and as just followers of Christ in general, doing it and doing it well, not just trying to get by. Listen, this is not a beat you up message. I, I hope that you're encouraged because ultimately what you're promised is... Uh, surely outweighs what you, uh, the cost of what you give. And I hope this redirects us or reminds us a little bit of values and principles and what we're to live for and what we're not to live for. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Jesus, I trust you in all this. And Lord, I just ask God that um, us here in this room, Lord, that... Um, God, we would understand and discover the worth of Jesus. Lord, and in discovering the worth of Christ, we would pay any cost. We would do anything it takes to, like Paul says, gain, to gain Christ, to grow in knowledge. And so, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you help our church not be that church. Lord, I didn't create, I didn't start a church to just be another church, to have another church fluffy little gathering with padded seats and comfortable, convenient Christianity. Lord, I want to take risk. I want to, like Paul, consider everything worthless. Everything is rubbish for your sake and your cause. We pray these things in your name. Hey, listen, real quick. If there, I, I would be assuming that everybody here is believes or is uh, a follower of Jesus but if you're not I want to extend the greatest gift that you will be able you will ever be offered in your life and that is Jesus and if you're interested in giving your heart to Christ I'm going to stay up here a couple minutes I'm not going to make a big deal of it Um, I just want to encourage you to come and talk to me I want to pray with you and just talk to you a little bit further and um, I'm really excited about these next three weeks. And matter of fact, I think that this is um, a subject that we can take maybe for even the month of September. I don't know. But there's just so much here um, to give our attention to, to rediscover, to relearn. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. So um, other than that, be blessed. Um, a couple things I just want to leave you with. We are having a conference. You might have already heard that um, we are having um, Lou Engel. Um, Benning Leipshire, Leipshire uh, from Jesus Culture. He's the lead pastor out there in Sacramento. Um, and we are also having Sean Foyett um, come in. We're throwing a conference called One Two. One Two. <laughs> yeah, One Two. One Ten. I'm a little tired. Been three days in the studio. I think me and Will have locked our, ourselves in the studio down at, at home and uh, it's been grueling, but uh, my, my brain's a little fried. But yeah, we're having a conference. Uh, it's title 110. We're having Lou Engel from The Call come in. Um, 
Banning again, the lead pastor of Jesus Culture and Sean Foy. It's going to be a three-day event. A um, couple instructions because uh, registration is needed. Uh, our venue space is limited. Um, and so, you know, the, I think we have room for maybe 500 people, um, yeah, five to 600 people. Um, and, and I'm expecting it to be packed. Um, and so we are charging for the event. An event like this can cost anywhere between thirty to $35,000. Uh, and that's on the low side. They, they generally trend higher than that. You know, you just want to bless your speakers. You've got to get hotels, cars. You've got to get, you know, you just got to do the thing. Sound systems, venues. I mean, we're in, we're in Cambridge. We're not in the sticks. Uh, and so they, to rent the place here costs some bank. You know, they know how to get it. Um, uh, from you, and so it costs a lot. So we do have a we do have a, a fee attached to the registration. It's only to buffer some of the costs. It doesn't totally eradicate it at all. But we found in our our experiences in throwing uh, events and conferences that charging kind of makes people responsible to come. You know, we we actually had uh, Corey come in. We charged like I think ten bucks. Corey Russell from IHOP. And uh, everybody came to place with pack. We had Benji Nolo, which I think he's a little bit more popular than Corey because he just did the nefarious videos, the sex trafficking um, uh, documentaries. And uh, we, had, we had a very small group, and we didn't charge. Um, so we're, we're, doing, we're doing it to buffer a little bit of the cost, but also just, you know, you invest in it, you're obviously going to be there. So um, we want to encourage early registration. The, the fee will probably go up, so we're kind of like the month of August. Um, we're probably going to have this early bird registration. Now, for our members of Hilltop, uh, for Friday and Saturday, I'm sorry, uh, unfortunately, you have to pay. It's only 15 bucks, okay? A couple cups of coffee at Starbucks and you're good. Um, uh, but Sunday, because we are having it here, this is something that I want to emphasize, because I know that not all of us are members, and there's a lot of us that aren't here. On Sunday, we only have room for 200 people. We've been trending anywhere between 85 to 100 for the summer months. Come September, that's probably going to go to 150 125, maybe somewhere around there, maybe even more. Uh, so as of uh, in October, on Sunday, when Sean Foyt's leading worship here, we only have room for 100 people. That's not a lot of people. Matter of fact, that could already be gone in the registrations. I don't know. Um, but we, we want our members to get in for free. Um, and so we're going to give you a code that you can do that. You can register for free. You're saying, I don't know if I'm a member. Listen, if you've come here more than uh, four or five times and you're helping and you're serving, you're a member, okay? Just consider it. So text me, connect with me, or Will, or somebody on staff, and we'll give you that, um, that code so that you can, um, you can get in for free on that day. Okay? Are we good? Everybody good? Okay. Praise the Lord. All right. Be blessed and have a great Sunday afternoon.